This morning, great movie. This morning, we're going to start our series in the book of Genesis. Genesis, fantastic book. I'm so excited about it. I think it's really important because the Western story, which we inhabit every day in our classrooms, in our cubicles, in Zoom calls, we inhabit that Western story in our supermarkets, even every podcast of two bros just kind of talking it out. They're living underneath that story. And the message is this, the story that, the, that our like kind of culture tells is that the world and your life starts, exists in, and ends with chaos. Your life, your world, your story, all of our stories begin and end with brokenness. And so then our job, the job of our lives is to survive it as comfortably as possible. Human life, according to this story, is essentially hospice care. I don't know if you've ever known anyone in hospice care, but it's basically, hey, it's going to end badly. We just want you to be as comfortably as comfortable as possible until it's over. Uh, some of the influential voices on this is, you know, Nietzsche said, there's nothing. This is all there is, and it's horrifying. Do your best to survive it. Uh, Freud s- said this. He says, the aim of all life is death. We have an innate drive towards destruction. Uh, that that's how we exist, that's where we're headed. Darwin kind of proposed, these guys all have great facial hair. Maybe, a little unruly. But he said, the existence of all living things is bound by survival of the fittest and the most adaptable. And so adapt to an environment that wants to crush you. To exist is to survive and then somehow pass your genes on to the next. Hemingway said, life breaks everyone, the brave and the good and the cowardly and the weak. Life is meaningless until an individual attaches meaning to his life with his own efforts. It's up to us to make life meaningful. Life is going to crush everyone. You need to like find meaning somehow. Descartes, the philosopher, Uh, The Frenchman said that we have to survive this existence by having the right perspective or the right ordered mind. That's how you're going to survive it. Uh, Tupac said it probably better and more clearly. Keep your head up and things are going to get better. That's what it's all about. Just keep your head up and eventually things are going to get better. I love this picture is pretty amazing. Uh, I think these are kind of like the only pictures that like my kids have seen of Tupac. Like this is a Spotify profile. Just like looks like such a soft, kind gentleman, which I think he was. He's a sensitive, sensitive soul. But that's it. Survive. Create meaning for yourself in this surviving. This is the story that we all inhabit every day. However, in the authoritative word of God, the Bible God says and has said since the ancient days when people were freed slaves walking in the desert, he has said repeatedly that the world was formed with an intention and that the world was formed to be good. Before there was pain and suffering and death and destruction, there was life and joy in work. 
There was love in relationships. There was communion with the creator. There was restful delight. Your story, my story, the story of humanity does not begin, according to the Bible, with pain and chaos and spiraling towards destruction. We were actually formed and made and fashioned by a God who formed us not for sin and not for death, but for life, a life of joy with him. As Jordan said, that before the beginning of the world, Jesus was the word and he formed all things. Isaiah 43, 21 says this. Uh, this is God speaking to Isaiah. The people whom I formed for myself. Why did he form them for himself? So they might declare my praise. I mean, that's really different than Tupac and Descartes and Darwin and the others. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared that we would walk in them. And so this spring, we're going to press into this origin story of joy through the, the narrative of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. This journey will take us into the, you know, the formation of the world. We'll talk about that today. It'll take us into how humanity was created for praise, the origins of both destruction of that peace, but then also the origins of the promise to restore all things, even joy and satisfaction itself. And we believe that you know, if we want to grow, as we said this year as a church, of becoming a people with a deep satisfaction and joy in Christ, it's probably good to know the origin of that story that's supposed to bend and turn towards lasting joy, lasting satisfaction. So that's what we're going to do from now until Easter, I believe. So I'm going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 25 today. And I have a feeling, I don't know, it could be a bad feeling, it could be wrong feeling, but I have a feeling that for some of us, whenever I say, hey, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, angst begins to build up within you. You're like, maybe, I don't know, of like, uh, some of it is like, uh, you know, the, the culture wars and milieu that we live within, of like, you know, these battles around, uh, around things. I think there's, there's been a lot that's, that's shaped our interpretation of this passage since, you know, the scientific revolution and the vetting of this really good scientific theory that's, like, helped us see the glory of God in all of these different ways. And, but then it's like, you got to check all that stuff at the door. Like, there's sometimes this assumption, this is what I've heard from, from friends who, who don't come to church buildings or services. You know, it's like, it, it's all good and nice, but I have to you know, leave my brain at the door. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling or thought, but, you know, sometimes you get to read these passages and you're like, oh, that's okay. I don't really have to think about the fact that I have this internal conflict. But this is a passage where I think, because of all the history and the, does that make sense? Yeah? You are staring at me a little blankly. That you're like, oh, now I'm, now it's, that pressure is heightened a little bit. I just want to say this because this is a hobby horse of mine, and I could spend like an hour giving it a lecture, but this isn't a lecture, it's a sermon. If there's a lot of interest in a lecture, we could do one in my backyard sometime. I doubt there will be, because I'm going to share a podcast that you can listen to of a better lecture. But anyway, think that what's lost when we cram 
sort of our 21st century theological theory and European enlightenment on this passage is that what we, what we miss uh, is that these words are meant and inspired to expose us not to the mechanics or the formation of the world, but it's supposed to expose us and, and bring us into contact with the living God and what he's like and what he is proposing to do. Uh, you see the, the difference there? That's why it's like, we're, this, this isn't written like, you know, Moses in the desert isn't trying to, you know, craft this inspired by God so that all things would be understood because there's a lot that's not left there and we get to discover them under microscopes and in labs and with telescopes, right? Uh, I think something that we do often is it's kind of like I didn't take very many science classes in college, so I'm just going to put that, that should be known up front. I took one class about birds because I had to, because it was a liberal arts school. But anyway, uh, it's like if you're in college and you have this assignment and you're an English major and you write a beautiful poem. But instead of it being graded by an English professor as a poem, as your final project, biology professor takes it and doesn't grade it as a poem, but grades it as, I don't think this person did a good job explaining, you know, the origins of all things, right? And it's like, well, that's not very fair. Why wouldn't you grade it on what it is? And so the scriptures are doing are exposing us to who God is, what he intended, what he has done. And that's, a, to me, like the ultimate thing. And that's what I can uh, actually speak to since what the Bible is. And if you want a lecture on science, we could find somebody else. So we're not going to spend lots of time like talking about evolution or the Big Bang theory or ancient cosmology. Ancient cosmology is super fascinating, but we're not going to do that. The other things are too. I'm not going to take a robust stand, you know, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about dates and days and uh, age. We spend a lot of time talking about age and avoiding age. Anyway, what the Bible does ask of us, though, and what I will be asking of all of us, he asks of every physicist, every doctor, every musician, every lawyer, every barista, every computer program, is to come to the scriptures, not to examine it, but to allow it to examine us. To come expecting truth that will inform how we process the world to come expecting authority in who we are and how we live to the, to the deep realities of life. And so I think we're going to come, hopefully humbly, looking for the substance of life uh, and not those other things. And again, I, there's a DNA guide for this week, and there's helpful, like there's big book, short book, and a 50-minute podcast you can listen to on those other things. And they're really, really good and much better than I could do. So with all that out of the way, Genesis chapter one, as we come to it looking for God, um, says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. 
And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters he gathered together and he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its own kind, and the trees bearing fruit to which their seed is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was morning, and there was evening the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for the signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars, and God set them in the expanse and the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters In the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is God's word. So studying any part of scripture begins with like, who wrote this and why? And who heard this for the first time? Like that's, that's kind of like Bible reading 101. This was written The first five books of the Bible, those are Moses' books. The book of the law or the books of Moses. You might remember a few weeks ago, Nehemiah 8. That's what they described and that's what they were reading, you know. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then finally Deuteronomy. And and it's written in the desert that, that you might remember if you're like super into Bible history. Like Moses was this person who saw the a bush burning, and he heard the voice of God. God spoke him into the story. He then goes, and and God speaks through him, and he redeems 
the people out of slavery and bondage. They, they see Pharaoh vanquish, be vanquished by the seas. They celebrate, they have songs, they have dances. Then they're in the desert. And then they like don't have anything to eat or anything to drink and they start to smell bad. I mean, that's, we don't have time to go into it, but like that's what the Bible says. And so then they're like kind of grumbling and frustrated. And here's Moses, this person, like with these people that he redeemed and he's now wondering what for? Are they even worth it? He even calls them that over and over again. You crooked necked people, you know, which I'm not sure what that means. But then uh, food, manna comes from the sky each morning. They're sustained. A water comes from rocks. The people begin to be formed and shaped by God into his people. Moses goes up to this mountain. It's thunderous. It's glorious. God speaks to him again, writing down the commands and the preamble, like the Ten Commandments. But it begins with, you know, I am the Lord your God, and you're going to be my royal priesthood. I rescued you like a, like a, a small creature on eagle's wings. Like, I am your redeemer now you know, the Ten Commandments. And as Moses is coming down with those things, the people have built their own kind of God. They, they took all this jewelry that they had stolen from Egypt. They melted it all down. And then they're like worshiping this other thing because, you know, Moses was gone for too long. And they, they do all that. They're, they then, you know, have to wander the desert because God's like, we need to form you and shape you even more. Like clearly you don't get who I am. And in the midst of all of that, they're, they're walking around the desert and there's a column of smoke and fire that guides them. Moses sits inside this tent regularly and he's dwelling with God and communing with God in this tent that they call the tent of meaning. And as he comes out, he's so like glowy with the presence of God that he has to cover his face. And as, as you read that story in Exodus and then into to Numbers, you see that, that through that, God is you know, gathering within Moses the story that's going to shape these people, that's going to reveal his entire intention with the whole world. Uh, that's the, the kind of context. These words are first sort of spoken and read in that desert place uh, with the people trying to commune with God and follow God, a people who have lived a life generation after generation in bondage and in slavery, to a people who spent generation after generation building temples and vanity projects to people who considered them second-class citizens. Like the amount of fathers and mothers who died putting stones in place for gods that do not even exist. Like that was their whole understanding and being. They believed also a story of, I was born into chaos, I was redeemed in chaos, and now I'm living in the dry desert lands, right? Like that's this. And then they hear these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know, to me, that context helps. The earth was without form and it was void. This is a Hebrew phrase. It's only used there. It's my favorite one. It's all I learned in Hebrew. Tohu vavohu, wild and waste, darkness, chaos. He's saying in the beginning, 
you know, the earth was without any kind of shape at all. It was wilderness. It was wild. It was unruly. It was dark. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of all of that chaos and destruction. And then it uses this word, and then he made, he molded. Uh, it's this word, bara. I lied. I learned more than one Hebrew phrase. Bara, to form and to shape. It's the same word used in the parable that Jeremiah tells about a God who forms clay, like a potter who forms clay. It's an artist's word, someone who takes and shapes and forms something. And that's what we see, that God forms out of the void, out of the formless. It was darkness, it was chaos. And how does he create, how does he mold, how does he shape? Through speaking. So I said repeatedly, God says, God says, God says. It's actually this huge monologue. Genesis 1 is this big monologue where it's just God talking. He's speaking. It's pretty, pretty amazing. The way he forms, the way he shapes, he speaks, and then he affirms, this is good. And then he names, this is sea, this is day, this is night, this is stars. This is true for how he was forming and shaping all things and all people. It's true for those people. God spoke to Moses. God spoke him as a prophet. God names him as a, as a leader. The people of Israel, it's the same way even the commandments work. It's like God says, you are my people. You are a priesthood. He speaks them into all kind of existence. He speaks on the mountain, he speaks in the tablet. And then as, as Jordan says, the word that was from the beginning of time is spoken and exists in flesh. Like this is how God operates over and over again. How does he make, how does he form, how does he shape? He speaks, he affirms its goodness and he names it. Like that's how all things are formed and shaped. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, that it's by his speaking and his naming that all things have their name and have their place. What was formed? All of it. A God who hovered over the waters of the deep brought all things into order. And here's what this does. It brings those people and us into contact with this truth, that there is a God and it isn't this stuff. This stuff is not God. It did not form itself. It did not orient itself. It did not make itself good. There is a God who spoke and who makes all things good. And what we are to know and what Moses was writing and everything that you see, even though it might seem like wilderness chaos, was formed by a God who spoke, who's speaking even now, who is forming even now. This wasn't a, oh, this is back in the day of old when God spoke. No, these people would have thought, oh, this is the God who is still speaking, who is still forming. And so God brings all things into existence. This passage also kind of confronts our notion that things just sort of exist, that this is just a world that kind of happens to be here, like Freud was saying, or Darwin, or any of those people, that it just sort of happens, it just sort of exists. For us in our modern minds, existence is when like a matter, you know, kind of comes into 
I'm trying to use a different word besides existence, but something exists when it's there. There was nothing and now there is. That's when something comes into existence. In the ancient world, the existence is not rooted in that material when it appears, but by virtue of something having a function with an orderly system. So that's how things are formed and made. When does it exist? It exists when it has purpose. That's how they viewed all things. And for us, you know, as I said, it's all material. There was nothing, now there is. But this passage is actually saying repeatedly over and over again, because each thing that he creates is, is brought into existence with a function from the very beginning. Existence is rooted in purpose. Uh, existence is ontological, not material. And while this isn't generally our way of thinking about existence, we kind of think like, I think, therefore I am. That's my existence. Also Descartes. This is true for us. Like, I'm just going to play it out. Like, you know that this is true, that existence is tied to purpose. You know, imagine a building gets purchased in Culver City or leased. Uh, someone puts a sign out front that's really cool. Uh, the boy and the lamb. And you're like, oh, cool. Lamb restaurant coming our way. You see ovens go in. You see stoves. You see plates, silverware, pots and pans. They're all getting trucked in to that building. You even see seats and tables. But then that building just kind of sits there. Cool sign, all the materials. It's right there. You wouldn't walk by and say, this is a great restaurant, right? This is a good restaurant. You've got to go sometime. You wouldn't say that because the restaurant, that isn't a restaurant. No food's been served. No chef has crafted a menu. It doesn't exist. It's just a thing that's there. Nothing gets cooked, nothing gets eaten. But when a chef comes and unlocks the door and, and creates and then prints a menu and pours olive oil into the skillet and puts chopped garlic onto that skillet and then waiters come out and begin seating people and then forks and knives get like cut into the meat and the vegetables, then you would say, this is a restaurant because it's actually doing its purpose. It's actually doing something. And here's why all of this is important that creation for God is not a vanity project. It's not like the temples that the slaves built for Pharaoh or something that God can just kind of tinker with as a hobby in the backyard, like in a shed. Like, yeah, God has this wood shop, it's earth. Or like a child who's just taking Legos and randomly putting them on top of each other. Yeah, God just likes to do stuff. No, all things were brought into existence. Day, night, the stars, waters, trees, animals, birds, all things were brought into existence for a function and a purpose by God. All of it intentional, not just some sort of hobby side project. So now you're wondering, well, then what was it brought into existence for? Why was it formed? What's happening here? It's the image of a God shaping and molding a world for endless praise. He's making a cosmic temple for the worship of himself through all things. Multiple times throughout the Old Testament, there's these moments of dedication for first the, the tabernacle, this big tent that they had made, and then the temple. Uh, 
In both cases, what happens is, is God speaks and says, hey, this is what you need to gather together, and this is how you need to use each material, and this is how each thing functions so that I can be worshiped through that tent and then through that temple. In King Solomon's case, he built the really great temple. It took seven years, and he says, these are all the supplies that I need. He's the king and the ruler. They gathered all the supplies from far-reaching parts of the world. Like the supply list, you can read it in... First Kings, that the supply list is far-reaching. It's not stuff that they had in Israel. They had to go and they had to gather it. The king, Solomon, inspected each thing, gave each thing a purpose, delegated responsibilities to people, to families even, for, that would exist for generation after generation, that all these people had roles, and then he gathered them together and he commissioned the, the temple to exist as a place of worship and praise. Right? Like that's what happens throughout the, the whole scriptures. Genesis 1 is actually written with words declaring over and over again that God forms the heavens and the earth as a place of worship for him. He calls each thing up. He calls each thing up. He calls each thing into existence. He forms it all in this orderly way. He inspects it and he says, this is good. This will do it what I'm designing it for. He puts everything in place for worship. And then he inaugurates the universe, all things, for endless praise of himself. It's pretty fantastic. Psalm 148, 1 to 10 tells us this. The psalmist uh, explains this, I think, for us. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You might think, oh, this is for people. No. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, which is to praise him, and it shall never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth and the great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, like his purpose, his intention that, that they would praise. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Let all of it praise the Lord. It's pretty fantastic. Creation sings. Everything was formed and brought into existence intended to declare his constant worth to be adored and for his glory and his goodness to just ring out in the heavens and the cosmos forever and ever. Uh, this is my theory on why the universe keeps expanding, right? It's pretty cool. That God's praise cannot expand enough. There isn't a single atom, a single inch of the earth, a single drop of water in the ocean that does not declare continuously, God is good. Not only that, but every mountain, every crashing wave, every furry animal, truly every molecule, molecule in this universe was placed there 
so that you and I and all humanity might declare generation after generation the goodness and the glory of God. All things were created so that all people might declare for all time the goodness and the glory of God. Pretty different from I exist to build temples to Pharaoh and I exist to eat manna and water. The Webb telescope causes us to consider, I think, some incredible truths. I mean, one, like people dedicating a whole life to create this thing, uh, pretty fantastic. But each image that we ski, or sometimes you can show those, they're pretty remarkable, uh, they fill us with wonder. They show the cosmos beyond the reach of any human, that any human could even travel to. It exposes us even into the curvature of the universe. I mean, wow. And everything that we're seeing, you can show the next one. Yeah, this is the pillars of creation is what this picture is called, where all of these nebulae and stars are forming and exploding. Everything that we're seeing and everything that fills us with wonder as we look at these pictures was created by God with the utmost confidence that it would forever declare his glory. And he was right. Not only that, but each of these stars was placed there by God millions and millions of years ago with his sovereign knowledge that one day the humanity that he created would work and fashion. And in the year 2023, humanity would, would be able to see these images and see deep into the heavens, and in seeing it, you and I might notice the living God and rejoice. I mean, these are, these are pictures of things that God created with the foreknowledge that we might one day see them and respond and say, God is good. This is what the psalmist was amazed by in Psalm 19. And he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. God has made a temple of rejoicing, so intricate that the call to worship can be discovered underneath a microscope. It's a temple so majestic that its benediction, you know, can be seen through a telescope hurling through space. This is the world that he created, and this is why it was crucial to the first listeners in the desert and then for each generation after it, including us. There isn't an amount of chaos and darkness. There isn't an amount of purposeless life. On the contrary, it's all been brought into existence to praise him. Here's what's also really crucial for our understanding. God's first words to the people in the desert, the first words in the scripture, literally, for me, it's different, you know, on your phone. The first page, that's all I read is the first page. 
the very first thing is oriented on the things and the character of God. God's first words to us in this broken and disoriented world are about God and what he does and what he wants. It's not a chat about what God will do, you know? If you think about the desert places of your life and the exhaustion and the chaos or even like mass shootings that happen, you think, well, God's going to come and he's going to say, don't worry about it. You know, like listen and, you know, console you. It's not a description. He doesn't start with, let me tell you how awesome you are and build up your self-esteem. No, it begins with when the world was wild and waste before you were worried about anything before anything bad had ever happened to you, before any hurt feeling ever occurred within you, before any trauma, you know, was was brought into your life, God is saying, there I was, and I made everything that you see and brought it all into existence because I'm glorious and I'm worthy of all praise and honor. The origins of joy is coming into contact with that God that the Bible is good news about God. That's so wonderful. Not good news about you. Not good news about the best restaurant or mortgage rates. It's good news about God. One last word about God today, more to come. Have you ever seen someone complete their work? and be like really happy about it. I had a picture of me covered in dirt. It's, uh, it's on the internet, covered in dirt. I just finished making a garden in my backyard, literally wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow of like a ton of dirt all the way down the hill. I didn't show it because I wasn't wearing a shirt at the end, but I was covered in dirt, but so happy, so happy. Have you ever seen a, an artist get done with what they're doing and just, like marvel at its complete masterpiece. Or someone create a nice meal and they're just watching people eat it and taste it full of like happiness. God is delighting in what he has made. Last Psalm today, but Psalm 104:31 says, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever because the Lord shall rejoice in his works. Different translation says, may the glory of the Lord continue forever because the Lord takes pleasure in all that he has made. This is the origin of joy with God who delights. I mean, that's what uh, phrase after phrase, it was good. He created it for this and it was so. He is, the delight is just growing and growing in God and what he has made. This isn't a survival of the fittest story. It isn't a clump of cells happenstance situation. It isn't us trying to create meaning out of nothing. It isn't about putting your head down and just hoping things will get better. No, this is a story about God who delights in the purpose and the functionality of all that he has made because it brings him endless praise, and he delights in seeing us be part of it. That's my preview for next week, when we just do one verse next week. I wonder if that puts paying rent into perspective, all of this. Like, I wonder. I wonder if it puts, you know, 
incredible influencers on the internet into perspective. I wonder if all of this puts our worries and our concerns or all of our ambitions and aims in life into perspective, that God has ordained this world for rejoicing and that it will continue forever, even before any human was ever made or walked the face of this earth, his praise was forever. I wonder if that puts our lives into perspective. And so now let's, uh, let's join him and join all things uh, in praising him. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, you are so good. You were the word from the beginning and you formed this world for this purpose. And as we come and as we're gonna take communion, I'm just reminded that you uh, not just formed and made the world, but uh, you committed yourself to seeing it no matter what, no matter how much death and sin and destruction gets incurred on this world, you have ensured that it will always bend towards your purpose, your glory, your endless praise, your restoration of all humanity and all things. God, I pray for us to see a bigger picture of you, not one that can fit uh, in our pocket, not one that can fit uh, in our bank accounts, that we would just see a big image of you over all worries, all struggles, all desert seasons. Thank you, God. Amen.